since the whole reason we started this series was to try to model for people how it is that some of the conversations go. The reason I asked to come in here is he's got some expertise on both sides of the fence. For many years, as you'll find out in a moment, he grew up in a Muslim country, in a Muslim home. One of the things I want to do as we talk tonight is I'm just going to ask some questions. Let him kind of respond, kind of different than our normal sense where anybody can break in any time. The idea tonight is for me to just give him the floor as we just kind of prompt questions and let him talk to us about it from the different perspective. Tonight it might be a much better thing to, to just listen and kind of soak in something about we hear a lot about but maybe we don't know much about at all. So why don't you introduce yourself first, tell us where you come from, how you got here, what you're doing right now, and just give us a little bit of background about you. All right. Um, I was uh, born and grew up in Jordan. I, I grew up in a, a refugee camp. My, my parents are originally from Palestine, refugees, and uh, so I went to school there, finished my undergrad in 2003, and then um, what happened um, when I was 16, I grew up Muslim, and I was devoted Muslim, and when I was 16, basically, it's a long story, I'll make it short, I had some dreams, and I was looking for a long time to know what, is, what it means, and then I found out, one of my dreams, I saw the Lord Jesus came to my dream and said, I am your Lord, you, and you follow me, as, as simple as that. Um, it took me about four years to understand that, and uh, when I finished my undergrad, I, I started looking for, to do my master's and, and, and more, if that possible. I wanted to come to the U.S. and I also wanted to go to a school that has, um, you know, academic excellence as long as um, a chance for spiritual growth. And my, uh, I had, there are many missionary people back in Jordan, and they recommended APU to me. So I looked at the website, and I applied. It was a miracle to get admitted and get the visa from from there. And I came in January of '06, and I just finished my master's this May, and now I'm halfway in my PhD. And hopefully I will be done in two years, two and a half, and then I'm going back to Jordan and have a you know, big plan there just to serve God among people there. You know, a lot of times we hear about people talking about Islam from the perspective of here's kind of what people believe. The first thing we might learn about in a comparative religions class or maybe just when we read a book is there's kind of the five pillars of Islam. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the starting point, they go, this is really what it is. Can you tell us what those are and like break them down a little bit for us? Yeah. Well, the five pillars, uh, these are used to distinguish a Muslim. So this first doesn't mean, does not guarantee that if you follow these five pillars that you go to heaven. But this is kind of, you know, um, form the, the, the identity of a Muslim. The first one is to, to bear witness there is no God but God uh, and, and that Muhammad is his prophet. And the second one is to pray five times a day at least. And then the third is the fasting, which is Ramadan month, about 30 days, 29 to 30 days every year. And that's uh, fasting 12 hours every day. Um, you don't eat anything, you don't smoke, you don't drink water or anything. And the fourth one is to give alms, to give away, and that's about 2.5% of everything you own. And the last one is the, um, you know, the Belarusian get to go to Mecca, uh, which is once in a life, if, if possible. So these are the five pillars. The almsgiving, it's 2.5%, so is that like a better deal than Christianity? Is that <laughs> better? There was a joke actually about that. There's somebody in different religion was trying to talk to Muslims to convert them, and he found that it was 25 so he became Muslim for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, there, there's a lot of rules, but it's a, uh, 
overall, it, it's more than that, but because you pay for every, every single thing you earn for over a year, you, you pay 2.5% of the, the cost, the whole, let's say that you have a house that's $100,000, so you have to pay 2.5%. The same of the car, if you have gold, if you have money in, the, in the, you know, your bank. And, but that's every year, right? That's every year. So, like a lot of Christians are always debating, like, is my tithe before tax or after tax, and they're worried about their income. This is 2.5% on your whole net worth, right? Everything. Every year? Every year. Um, yeah. Anthony, go to the next slide, if you would. I think we got like a couple pictures of some moss, and there's one more. You mentioned the trip to Mecca. That's kind yeah. of one picture. Tell us a little bit about is that that's a requirement or how does that work for people? Yeah, it is required. It's, it's, the, it's the last one, but the only one that said if possible. Because this is usually it's the hardest one, because in the past, you know, Islam is 1,400 years old, so and they expected that Islam one day would be expanding. So, and I don't think they were thinking about airplanes today. So, somebody in Indonesia will take him forever to go to Saudi Arabia to do this. So that's why the only thing I'd say is possible. And the the, the belief about Mecca, um, they believe that um, this was the first mosque for people that. Uh, Father Abraham and his son Ishmael, they built it, and that, that's the belief, and that's until today they still they go. And basically, it's a 10 days thing. That's uh, 40 days after Ramadan. It's a 10 days ritual that you go, and they believe that if you go and you do this along the other four four, uh, four pillars, then you're just a newborn, no sin. So did you do this? Did you go? No. Did you do the pilgrimage? <laughs> no? No. Is that, did you look at the if possible? I, what was no, I couldn't do it because the thing is, this is only 10, day, 10 days every year. And millions of people, they want to go, and they can only have 2 million every, every year. So they give a priority for people 65 plus age because these people are close to die, kind of. So they have the priority. So if I can't do it. So it's not easy to go there. Well, if I've read the estimates right, there's about 1.2 billion Muslims or something like that in the world. 1.5. 1.5? Billion, okay. yeah. If, if that's the case, 2 million a year, that would take a long time. I to... was calculating the other day. So, oh, I need 900 years to change. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's going to be yeah. a difficult one it for is, some people. Yeah. What about prayer? Go one more. This, this is like an image of prayer. You know, when you hear the five pillars, it sounds like, okay, you're supposed to pray five times a day. And if you've ever traveled in a Muslim country, you'll hear that there's the call for prayer at yeah. five different times during the day. So there's no mistake as to when it is. Um, you know, Christians have a hard time praying once a week. Like, how, how in practice does that work, like praying five times a day? Did you find that that's just something that becomes routine? To pe does everyone do it? How does it work in practice? Not everyone do it. And it depends where you grow up. You know, it's part of the discipline. And, uh, for example, I grew up, my dad is kind of a secular guy, but my mom is very devoted. So she, and we were close more to my mom because she stayed home. She had to wake us. So, you know, the first prayer is at 4.30 in the morning. And it's not you go, it's like you can, you can just pray. You have to go and wash, it's cold water. It's, it's, it's a big thing. And, well, she always, we were always complaining. She said, well, this is a test from God. This is how you show that you love God, that you care. It's a test. You know, he wants to test if you will obey him while you have your nice sleeping at 4.30 in the morning and have the cold water in, in the winter and you just do it. Um, the first one, 4.30 in the morning. The second one, uh, mid midday is what, noon. The second one, uh, uh, the third at 3.30 and the fourth around 5 o'clock. And the last one was 9 p.m. Um, most people, when they grow up, you know, as you know, as they're still children, uh, they have to do it because of their parents. I stopped doing it when I was 16, I guess. You become like kind of lazy, um, then it's up to you. But I would say 
less than 30% of Muslims today, they do the five times every day from what I've seen. But it, it's not easy to keep up. But um, there's the thing, if you do it, then you have a really good reputation. Like people just respect you, people um, actually, you know how the kind of tradition there, when you go propose for marriage, you have to be the family. That's the first question they ask you. And the father of the, of the bride, maybe he's not, he doesn't pray, but that's the first question. So if you pray five times, that's a plus. So it could help you actually get the girl, like if you pray. Yeah, right? well, most people start praying 40 days before they get married and then that's, so they just to get the plus and then that's it. I think we have that in Christianity where guys play the guitar to attract women, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, play, play worship songs, same kind of thing maybe, yeah. But you mentioned that like your dad was secular or, or more secular. Like is that, how is that accepted? Like it, it yeah. seems like from our perceptions a lot of times we think that like in many countries Islam and the kind of political system are very closely tied together. Sometimes they're one and the same. Is there any danger in being secular, like saying, you know what, I, I don't want to pray. Like, yeah. I, I, sure, that might be the religion of the country, but it's, I'm not going to follow the practice. Does that bring negative consequences? Yeah, well, I use the word secular because that's just to make the, to make the clear for you guys, because I know that this is a term that can. But for Muslim, there's nothing called secular. You must, you, are, you only be a Muslim or not, or nothing. You cannot be a secular, you cannot be, um, yeah, I'm open to whatever. Um, what happened is Islam is no longer um, re only religion. It's an identity. So if you go like, for, for example, my dad, I've never seen my dad praying. And he used to drink. I mean, not like crazy, but it's just like, it's still in Islam, you're not allowed to drink even a, a one, one cup or whatever. But he did that. But if you go to talk to him to argue about Islam, he maybe memorized five verses from the Quran, but if you go talk about Islam, he will defend Islam so, you know, to death, he doesn't, because it's an identity for them. So everybody will introduce him as Muslim. If you go to Indonesia, or if you go to China, or you go to South Africa or Latin America, anybody who's born Muslim, they, they still introduce them as Muslim, even if they don't know any of the five pillars. In fact, last time I was in Minnesota at the conference, and I, I met a guy from Kazakhstan, and he did not know that Allah was God, and he was mixed up, who's, who's God and who's, who's a prophet. But he still introduced him as a Muslim, and you know, Islam is the best. It just, it's, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not practicing, but this is a great religion because it became identity. And for Muslim to say, to argue about Islam or to think, oh, well, maybe we have something wrong with Islam, that's not even acceptable. For those who, doesn't, who do not practice the five pillars every day, um, if they say, I, I don't believe that I have to do it, they are no longer Muslim. This according to Islamic theology. But most people say, you know, yeah, I'm just lazy. I'm, I'm really, it just, I, it's me, I'm bad. So yeah. you'd be considered maybe, you said maybe like a bad Muslim, but yes. you're not, it doesn't mean like, hey, if I don't pray or if I don't actually do these things, like if I don't actually fast during Ramadan yeah. just because I just don't feel like it, no one's going to come over and say, you know what, you're out. No, no, no. There, there's two words that I can't translate them in English, but one means that you are out of Islam if you deny any of these. If you, do not, if you deny that no, there's no God, or there's, no, Muhammad was not a prophet, or no, we don't have to pray, then you are out of it. But if you acknowledge them, if you believe that, yeah, this is the five pillars, but you do not, you're still not practicing, then you're considered like a bad Muslim, but you're still in. Okay. How about literacy with the Quran? I know that in, in Islam, there's a great emphasis on actually memorizing the entire Quran. Right? Yeah. Which are the scriptures, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about the Quran and what it is and what it means, and do people actually really know it very well? Do yeah. they study it a lot? 
Well, Quran is the Muslim scripture. It's about 114 chapters, and uh, it's about 6,200 verses. And it was Muslim believe that it was it's a word of God that was given uh, through Jibreel, through the Holy Spirit, to Prophet Muhammad, and um, it's in Arabic, uh, and it was given to him um, over a period of 27 years. And they believe that every single letter in, in that book is a true and was bought that way. So it's not negotiable. There's no, um, you know, different stories. The same, the same book. And um, even the Muslim missionary, Arabic Muslim missionary, when they go to other uh, countries, they, they only tell people that they have to memorize the Quran in Arabic. And in the prayer, they have to recite from the Quran. So that's why they have to memorize it. Now, we say Muslim 1.5 billion, only 300 million are Arabic-speaking people, which are the Arabic nation. The majority of Muslims are non-Arab. And I met many of these people. They recite it, they memorize it with a kind of funny accent sometimes, but they, they don't know the meaning because it's not their language. But they were told that, you know, it's okay, just memorize it this way as a picture and just recite it. Um, there's a great emphasis to memorize it, and I memorized it when I was 16, actually. And um, the entire Quran. The entire Quran. Um, as I told you, my mom is um, she's she's a strong Muslim, and she's it's all about that. And it, she's not like jihadist or whatever, you know. She's not a, but she just somebody who loves God in a different way, um, and that's how she you know she brought up um, all of us. So yeah, um, my most of my uh, my brothers and sisters also memorize it, and. If I say, if I step in and I say, you know, I memorize the whole Quran, like everybody will salute me. It's like people just, oh, wow, or listen to you. Like the same as if you practice the five times and all that, yeah. What about in the Quran? Like in Islam, the God of the Quran is Allah, right? Mm -hmm. Allah is the Arabic word for God. I mean, you know that Arabic Christians, they use the word Allah for the same thing. And when I look at the Arabic um, language and I put, the word ilah, which is in Arabic alif lam ha, there's three letters, means a, a god, like any god. And in Arabic, when you put al before any words, it means that, which means the only one. So when you combine them together, it becomes Allah. Now, um, I was thinking about your question today, and I was thinking it has to do with the culture, kind of. Like, for example, we take God as a, fr as a friend, and you know, this is not acceptable in the Arabic culture to talk about God this way, or even about, about your father. So I was thinking, okay, now in Christianity we think of him as a father and as children, so we can do that. I was thinking about my relationship with my dad. I can't joke with my dad. This is the Arabic culture. He loves me, he wants to provide, he wants to give everything, but if I made a mistake, that would be a big trouble. He will punish me. And I believe that was what, the, what Muhammad did. A lot of what he brought was acceptable by the Arabic culture, so that's why most people accept it. And so Allah in, in the Quran, you know the word Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which every, everyone started with it. It means in the name of God, the most merciful. So they believe that God is, is merciful. But at the same time, there's 99, 99 names of God in the, in the Quran. I believe half of them are giving a nice you know, thing like merciful, beneficial, giving. And another half, it just, he punished. Um, he can get mad, and, um, you have to fear him. So uh, many Muslims, uh, many Muslims, the majority of Muslims, they do what they do because they fear God, not because they obey God. Not because they say there's the word taman and khawfan in Arabic, which means I'm doing this because I'm supposed to do it, because if I don't do it, then I will be punished. And the minority, they say, well, I do it because 
I'm obeying God because I want to go to heaven. So there's a fear. There's no friendly relationship. You cannot think of God in Islam as you being your friend or that you can have a relationship. You cannot even say the word God itself without saying things before and after. You, you cannot think of God as having a relationship. You know, there's, there's kind of constitution, there's a contract, which is the religion that teach you all the things that you can do. And through that, you, can, you can't even think of how God looks like or what he's doing now or, yeah. Christianity seems to place a lot of the focus on salvation. It's like a big center of the message. It's probably uh, the good news is a lot of things, but at its core, it's probably the message that Jesus is the way to salvation. Are Muslims concerned about salvation in the same way? Is there a way for salvation? And is that from the Quran? Is that just from tradition? How does that work? You know, until I was 16, I grew up, I was totally satisfied with Islam as a religion, as a social system. Um, I, I just love it. But the only thing that no Muslim can tell you about, okay, you're Muslim, you did the five pillars, you went, you did every single thing, and now you're going to sleep, you may not wake up in the morning. Do you know where you're going to go? No. So there's the word salvation, that was the thing that I was looking for. Because I was thinking, when well, I was 16, I was doing all this, and now when I have this simple question, I was asking my religious teacher, I mean, is this a guarantee? He's like, no guarantee. You do this, to show God that you deserve his mercy and it will be totally up to him in the last day. He may grant you his mercy and he may not. So even if you do all this thing, still in the last day, you may go to hell. I say, oh, this is not a good deal for me. So, and he kicked me out of school, oh, do a lot of stuff. So that's when I start arguing. Before that, I was just, you know, consuming whatever they gave me. And 16 years old, I memorized the whole thing. And I was teaching and doing all this stuff. It's like, wait a minute. I'm doing all this and now there's no guarantee. That's when the whole thing started and I started crying out and looking and searching. So there is no guarantee for salvation. There's no single, even the prophet Muhammad, when he was dying, there's no, no guarantee that he's going. Well, people, all people believed, oh, well, he's, he's a prophet, so he will get the, the mercy. But he was praying to get that mercy. So he has, did not have guarantee that he will go to heaven after he died. So, Christian people, listen. If you are interested or if God calls you to go to talk to Muslim people, don't go and say, there is one God. He's a creator. He is great. They believe in all that. Don't try to give them, you know, social system. They, have, they believe their social system, in fact, is closer to the Bible than a kind of Western culture. They don't need to change their culture. They don't need to have you know, any civilization. Um, they, they are more than content for, for Islam, as I told you, it's an identity for them. So they won't accept any argument about it. But the only thing that will make them listen to you, you know, and I think it makes sense. You know, if when you go to people, I mean, how many of you open, open the door for Jehovah Witness, you know, when they knock and they try to give you something? If you just go to somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible to give him a Bible, well, maybe he will take it just to respect you and he throw it away. But if you want to interest somebody of a product that you have, you make sure first they, they really need it and they know that they miss it. And the big thing that those people miss is salvation or they call it peace. You go to a Muslim five times a day, everything, do you know where you're going? Do, do you have, are you sure, you're like, are you happy with your faith? It's like, man, I, I feel like I'm doing everything but keep pointing like this. But there's something missing. They don't know the word salvation because it's not there. And then when you say, so when you basically say, well, I know where I'm going. I have, the, I have faith. I believe in, you know, in the same God and one God. And I do pray in a different way. 
and I, I do give away in a different way. I don't have to do it in a Muslim way, but the difference is that I go. I know where I'm going now. And that's what, it just the triggers, like, okay, tell me how you know that. You know, how can I know that, you know, I, I will know where I'm going, you know. So they miss the salvation before anything. If you go and say, listen, I'm here to tell you what's the truth. Both your book aside, this is not a prophet. You know, Islam is, you know, it's not really what's going to help you. They will leave. That closes the whole thing. And imagine yourself as a Christian. If a Muslim missionary, you know, comes to you and say, listen, your Bible is corrupt and Jesus is not really God. I'm going to tell you the truth. Are you going to stay and listen? Interest people by just telling them what they're missing. And they do missing. Everyone. Even this really practicing, highly practicing Muslim. It takes time. Some people take them 30 minutes and some people take them 30 years. You know, it's, it's up to God, but you do what you can do. And again, you need to be careful that these people, it's an identity for them, not as in you know, Christianity. So even a non-practicing, you know, you know what happened when somebody in Europe tried to draw this picture of Muhammad. And he had a guy died 1400 years ago and he's, he has nothing to do with Muslim today because he's dead. In fact, they believe that Jesus has to do with them because they believe that Jesus will come back more than him. But it was kind of kind of invasion. It was like disrespectful for the whole identity. And I know many of people who went out and protest. They don't memorize anything from the Quran. They don't go to mosque. It just became, okay, you insulted us. You know, they don't know the history of the guy even now. But there is a concept at some point, it sounds like, that there is going to be some judgment. It just sounds like there's no guarantee, right? Yeah. Like they do believe that God is going to judge at oh, some yeah. point just in the same way. Yeah. So what is it based on then? Just how good you did or? Well, there's two teachings. Teachings say you do, there will be a balance. You know, you do more good, you know, you will be doing good and bad. If you're good, so more than you're bad, then you go to heaven. But that's the, the weak teaching. The real theology teaches that since Adam sinned, people, all people are sinners. And now... It just God, His mercy is the only way that, you know, to heaven. And people have to obey God in every single thing to show God that they deserve the mercy so they get it. There's no guarantee. There's a last day. They believe that all people will be, will be on that day and they will be judged. And it's based on the thing in Islam theology. There's one thing you have to die. If when you die, you have to believe in. There's only one God. If you believe in only one God and the only God, then you will go, to, eventually you will go to heaven, but you will punish for everything else that you didn't do, that you were supposed to do, or things that you were not supposed to do and you did. If you die believing in no God or believing in more than one God or another God, you go into hell forever. But um, nobody knows. I and mean, the other day I was um, at the funeral, it was just touched my heart. And people, this lady, her mom just died and she's, she's crying, but at the same, she's, at the same time she's happy because well, my mom is with Jesus today. So she knows where she, where she is now. And I, well, I go to Muslim funeral, people are crying, crying. So they don't know. They don't know if this guy or girl is in heaven or, or in hell. I think it would surprise people that, that God is seen as merciful in the Quran because the image we get of Allah in a way is completely different, at least in the Western way that we've been taught. And I know that a lot of that has changed. Um, but I think it would surprise people to know as well that like even in the Quran, that Jesus is identified as somebody who didn't sin, whereas you mentioned that Muhammad himself thought that he needed some sort of and he rescue from sin. Yeah. How do they look at Jesus in the Quran if there are these statements that seem to put him in a pretty high position, like okay. he didn't die on a cross, but he didn't sin either, and even the prophet who's the last prophet by his own admission sinned, how do they see Jesus? Okay. 
Today we are 1400, 1440 years away from the message, the Quran, when the Islam started, when Islam started. So, what we have in interpretation today, or what what people know, it's not really the same thing. So I had to go in the history and see what happened, and you know, you cannot separate religion from politics. And I found that most interpretation that we have today, it's post-Crusade. You know what happened in Crusade, and it was a, it was a big thing. So Muslims tried to to piss the Christian off in one way. And they went to the, to the core of the Christianity, which is all about the death of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And the Quran doesn't say that Jesus did not, did not die, by the way. The only verse says that they, the Jews, did not kill him. They did not crucify him. And when we look at the interpretation, it says that they, well, they did not kill him. The Romans who really crucified, who did the actual thing. There's nothing against his death. In fact, there are verses that say God said to Jesus, peace on you, the day you was born, the day you die, the day, you, you, uh, the day of resur resurrection. So there are more evidence that Jesus died. And there are, today, after this you know, comes up, there's good, a percentage of Muslims, they believe that Jesus died and, and raised up again. Jesus is, according to the Islamic theology and most, what most, most Muslims believe, he was only a prophet, yet he came in a miraculous way. He came, um, he's the spirit of God and the word of God. This is the description in Islam. And he came, you know, from a virgin. There's actually more than the Bible says that he, when Mary brought Jesus to her family and they said that Jesus spoke. He was in the crowd and he spoke that I'm the Messiah. He grew up that way, but he was, he, he only came for the Jews. And Quran acknowledged all the miracles, you know, uh, raising the dead and healing the lepers and all that and more. And he is the only one who is described as the Word of God, the Spirit of God. He is the only one that's described as he's a near station to God, um, the sinless, the only, the only human being in a uh, current Quran who is sinless, and that he's coming back again, and that he's the Messiah. Now with all this, this is a nice thing, but post-crusade interpretation and politics make these people think far away. I mean, they hear it, but they don't, they don't, mean, they don't know what it means. I did a, like a simple survey. I have a big family. And I asked them, okay, define to me the word Messiah. The answer was Jesus. That's the meaning of Messiah. He's another, it's another name of him. They don't know what does it mean. Because they were told that the Torah, the Old Testament, and the New Testament were corrupt and changed. People changed them. So you cannot read it. And that's why I'm using the Quran when I talk to these people about Jesus. The Quran says that God talk to the Prophet, to Muhammad, if you, are, if you have doubt about what you have in the Quran, ask the people of the book and read the other book, which is the Bible and, and the Torah. In fact, the five pillars might make you Muslim, but in order to become a believer, there are other five things that you have to believe in. And they are to believe in God, the only one, to believe in all prophets, from Adam all the way to Muhammad, to believe in all the holy books, including the Quran. So you believe in Torah, Zabur, which is the Psalms, um, Injil, the, 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 the Bible, and the Quran. If you deny any of this, you go to hell. If you say there was no Bible, the Muslim, you go to hell. If you say there was no Torah, you go to hell. And then the angels, you have to be in all that and the last days. If you deny any one of these, if you deny, if you say Jesus was not a prophet or Moses was not a prophet, you are out of it and you go to hell. Now these five things, are they in the Quran or they come later in some of the writings like the Hadith? They're in the Where Quran. Did, they're in the Quran. Yeah. So you can actually use these things to point somebody to it by saying, look at these things, yeah. and one of them is we have to understand the Injil, exactly. which is you know, the equivalent of our Gospels or the, the New Testament, yeah. and say, you need to understand that. 
Well, what I do today when I go to any Muslim. Now, the thing that you need to understand that the Quran for this bill is not negotiable. There's no way to cross this. There's no way to put it aside. The only way that you can win these people's heart is through reading, you know, using a verse. I look at the Quran in two parts. I separate it in two parts. One part is about the spirituality and relationship with God, and the other part about the culture. And I do not care about the culture part, meaning I don't care if you have to cover or not. I don't care if you use a Muslim name or a Christian name. I don't care about the culture. God doesn't care about the way you look and your name or anything like that. So I don't tell them that you know it's wrong that you that your wife is submissive. It's wrong that you um, whatever culture thing that we disagree with, as long as it's not anti-Christ. The other part, the relationship of God, it's all about the the holy books and about Jesus. Um, so I use this and I show I point two things. First, uh, Jesus is a significant character so far that you need to learn more. Why? Forget about the Bible at this point. You believe that he's a prophet, came with all these extraordinary things. And most importantly, you believe that he will come back. And Muslims believe that when Jesus comes back, they have to follow him. Now, there's some theologians, they went far away and they said, he will, he will come as a Muslim. Muslims don't believe in that. Most Muslims, like, he was not there when Islam was there. And he's a greater than that. He will come and show us, you know, different things. But they believe that he will come and he will be in their side. So they're waiting for him. Now, we have Shiite and Sunnis. Sunnis, they, they believe that. And the Shiite, they believe, well, there's somebody else, which is Mahdi, will come first. But they believe. So believe in him, and they're waiting for him. Okay, well, that means that you need to know more about him. It's like, yeah, I agree, I need to know, because Islam doesn't give me much. Okay, well, the Bible is a book uh, about Jesus, and the, the Torah is, oh, I say, oh, no, but this book were corrupt. Uh, show me that. So then I took him the next step to show him in the Quran that the Bible is a book of God, the word of God, that would never change. It cannot be changed. And in fact, the Quran came to say that the Torah and the Bible are the book, you know, are the right book. And the, the Prophet was told, if you have doubt, go and read this book. And more, a lot, there's a lot of, of things, of good things about um, the Quran, that Quran acknowledges about the you know, Bible. So after they read that, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like the first time. It's like, yeah. So after this, there's no problem of knowing more about Jesus or reading the Bible. But where did it come? It comes through the Quran. From the, if, now, if I go and just, you know, if I told him that, they, ugh, they don't listen to me because, well, I don't, well, the teacher told me that, the sheikh, the priest, they told me, no, they, he said, no, no, you cannot do that. You know that forever, you know, now you come to change your life, read your book. There's one verse, a powerful one, and I was sharing that with an imam, which is a priest of a mosque, and I show him this mutawafiq. In literally, it means that God would cause Jesus to die. And he saw that, he was like, he memorized it. But I say, okay, read it slowly and think about it. That's a problem. Most people recite it, and I memorize the whole thing without thinking, you know. There's a lot of words that I don't know. It's like King James today. There's a lot of words that I don't understand, you know. I just recite it, I memorize it as a picture. And he was like, oh my gosh. It's like, yeah. You just, that's all what you need to do. They, you don't need to, to do anything more than that, believe me. Show them, there's no problem, and they, they go, and then... The surprise and then when they start reading the Bible. Because here what they know about the Bible. Uh, the Bible changed. Well, what does that mean? My understanding, even before I became a believer, was that well, it was changed. So that's what I thought of it. And then, unfortunately, the majority of Muslims, they think of the Bible as the Hollywood movie. They think that, in general, American culture or, or down LA downtown, this is the Christianity, which is not true. So when they go and read the Bible, and you find things like, love your enemies, you don't find that in any way else. They cried. 
they were got surprised and they hungry and they just want to read more and more and more and more and more. You said a lot of these interpretations kind of came up after the Crusades, like post-Crusade interpretations. Yeah. So I'm just curious because last week we spent some time trying to just discuss where religions came from. So mm. if since you've studied that issue, if you went back before the Crusades, go back to what Muhammad was really doing. Do you have an opinion now about what he was doing? If he has all this stuff that points to the Bible in the Quran itself, do you believe that he just genuinely thought this was the dictation from God of the Quran? Uh, have you formed any opinion about it now that yeah. you kind of left Islam, like how you see what happened at the beginning? You know, yeah, and uh, this is what I think about what happened. If I'm imagining, if I live in that time, and this is from the biography of Muhammad. People, Arab people, they consider their, um, their, you know, they are the descendant of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. They believe that Abraham, you know, was a righteous guy and uh, he wanted people to worship his God, the only God. So here, here they are after all this, you know, many, many years. When Muhammad was born, the Arab nation were 360 tribes. And every tribe had its own God, which was a little idol they were worshipping. Now, all of them, they believed of the one God, but they believed that they have to worship this idol first. So, you know, it's like a mediator. So here this guy came and he said, how dare children of Abraham doing, you know, worship other God? So that's my thinking, how he thought. So his first concern was first to unite all these people, and then second to point to one God which was successful. And today, if I appreciate anything about it, I appreciate that. To put 360 tribes in one tribe and to take them from worshiping idol to worship one God, it's not Jesus, Jesus is not there, but at least, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Now this guy, he could hide uh, the thing about Jesus Christ. I mean, these people, when he started, he started with one man, and today 1.5 billion. And his, his, his people at his time, they were ready to worship him, but he never asked him. I mean, if he, according to what I read, if he asked them to worship him, they would do it because they just believe in every. I mean, he told them, and that's not in today times, that's 1400 years ago. He told them that he was sleeping. And then the angel came to him, took him from Saudi Arabia to Jerusalem. So all the prophets, they prayed together. And then the angel took him from Jerusalem to heaven, show him heaven and hell and everything and he went back to sleep in the same day so this all took about 30 minutes until today they celebrate this day every year they believe in him so they believe in everything so i was thinking well he could have just told them that he's a god if he was seeking that he could have hired the thing about moses and jesus but he also traveled he was a martian so he met with the jewish and christian people and he learned a lot about that so that's another thing that could be a resource. Because if you read the Quran, which is, if you are interested to serve God among Muslim people, you have to read the Quran first. And you will be surprised how much is it takes more from the Tower than the Angel. The punishment, the Moses story, Jesus' story, uh, Genesis, a lot of things, they are there. And Noah and all, all that. Um, so he, he was jealous that, you know, the Jews has one God and they pray and they are you know, supposedly brothers, and now they kept the, the covenant, they kept, you know, that they gave to their father, and now, shame on us, we have 360 God. So, no, we have to unite and worship one God. And, well, his resource, he need, you know, somebody who was illiterate, you know, he was illiterate. 
according to his biography. He, how can you organize a nation and you start a religion? So there was a, you know, the Bible and the Torah. And I, I believe that he believed in the, in the Torah and the Bible as the word of God because the Quran says when he had a problem, he went to read these books. And the Quran says that the Christian can use their own book because it's the word of God. And the, Jesus was the word of God and the spirit of God and all these good things, you know, that does not, do not contradict with the Bible. Um, that I was thinking, well, if he wasn't, if he was anti-Christ, he could change that. You know, he could have changed a lot of things or tell people not to think about, about Jesus. But he gave them all that. And then before he died, he said, by the way, Jesus is coming back. You, you need to wait for him. But now you see, you, you, give, you give me a good hint. You said, Jesus is coming back and ready for him. And at the same time, you told me that you can read the Bible. Well, thanks. That's, that's thankful. I th I'm thankful for that. And today, you have 1.5 billion. This is uh, more than one-fifth of the world. And all of them, they believe in, uh, in Muhammad as a prophet and, and believe in the, in the Quran. So if I can go to 1.5 billion and tell them, well, yeah, I acknowledge him as a prophet. And uh, this is a good book you need to read. And then I pull them from there to say, he told you, and he's gone. He has nothing to do with you now. He's dead. But he said, Jesus is coming back. Wait for him and read your Bible. I don't, I don't have any problem with that. You mentioned that there were two. You mentioned Sunni and Shiite, which I think, just to clarify for some people, um, there, are, there are more than two, but those are the two main yeah. uh, branches in Islam. What's the percentage of each? And, and, and just to give people an idea, because... In the West, obviously, we, we even have presidential candidates who got them confused and can't figure out which is which. What, what are they and what's the difference? Well, the, the, Sunni, the Sunni has, not, uh, the last thing I read is about 92 to 93 percent, and the Shiite about 7 percent. Right, so the Sunnis are the ones that you're talking about that really look at that interpretation of the Quran. I know it's the Shiites that believe that their, their Messiah or whatever they're gonna, they call him is really the Mahdi who's going to come back in, yeah. at a different time, so they're not really waiting on Jesus. They have a different interpretation. Yeah. For me, Shiite is not a dunamish. It's a political movement that happened because there was nothing called Shiite at the time of the Prophet. And it started just because there was a problem who will become the next president. And if you look today at the Shiite, the majority are Persian. What happened when Islam came started in Saudi Arabia with few men, few hundred, few thousand, beated Persia, beated Roman, Rome, and then spread all over the world. Persian, these people are really so proud of their identity. So some of them, they accepted Islam, and some other people, they were forced to accept Islam. But at the same time, they wanted to have a different identity. So the Prophet died, the first, the first Khalifa, which means like the, the first president, second and third. Now the fourth one was his cousin. And then there was a problem about who's next. So it was a chance for them to start something that no, we want to be in this side because he's the cousin of the prophet. But the prophet says, say to them that you elect you know, anyone else. It's not, it's not like by the family. So um, then that's the whole thing started and it's been a political movement, it's not a domination. They have total different theology that... You um, bring up politics, which I think is a good thing because so much of what we hear about Islam is from a political perspective. Yeah. And of course it's it's also brought in uh, the religious perspectives because they seem to be blended together. So for a lot of the people who are listening, uh, it's true that most people got interested in Islam after the attacks at 9-11. That's like when people woke up in this country yeah. started realizing like, hey, Islam is there. And oftentimes, unfortunately, we hear more about radical Islam than we do about Islam, its teachings, or it in any other way. 
Can you comment on that? Can yeah. you tell me what your perspective is about radical Islam? Because unfortunately, if you go to a lot of Christian sites when they do address Islam, that's all they really talk about. They're not even talking about the religious aspects or reaching out. All they're talking about is that the, you know, America's about to be taken over. Yeah. And it's kind of an alarmist kind of reactionary, you know, what I call redneck Christianity, right? But I want to hear from you kind of, you know, what do you think about that just in general in Islam all over yeah. the world and also here in the States? You know, I'm blessed to have my uh, political science as a minor, so I'm kind of into politics. Um, before 9-11 before or before 1998, I don't know how was the picture of Islam in America. But I know in the 80s that the word Mujahideen was a nice thing. Because those Mujahideen, who today Al-Qaeda, were fighting the Soviet in Afghanistan. And the CIA was supporting them at that point because they were fighting the enemies at that time. And Thatcher, which is the prime minister, the former prime minister of Britain, she said after they defeated the Soviet, and in 1989, she said, today um, we finish our um, enemy, and now we should be ready for our traditional enemy, which is Islam. Okay. This ra there's, there's radical Islam, but where they are? You have 1.5 million. If you think every one of these people is Osama bin Laden, <laughs> the world will be done in one day. You know, if every Muslim think, oh, I need to kill one. So 1.5, if everybody kill three, we're gone. The whole thing. Okay, now, Osama, where is Osama? Osama bin Laden is a, is a Saudi Arabian that he lives in a cave. And all his group, they live in a cave. They live in chaotic places in Iraq and Afghanistan. There's no Al-Qaeda in other countries. And you need to think that this is radical Islam. It's not only against non-Muslim. They bombed hotels in Morocco, which is a Muslim country, in Jordan, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, in Iraq, in Iran, in Pakistan, everywhere. For them. Any Muslim that who's, who's living in America, like if I'm a Muslim and I live in America and I'm not trying to kill you, I must be killed because I'm not doing my job. But these people are not welcome. These people in, in, the, in the 80s when where they're supporting by the CIA, they were wanted by their own countries because they did something that's not right. They were radical and they tried, by the way, they tried to, you know, all the time to take over power in their own countries and all that. Now, the great majority of Muslim people, you know, they are average Muslim, moderate, you know, not, not, not thinking of taking over and all that stuff. But again, as you in America, you have this, all this propaganda and politics about Islam. People there, there are other people, they do the same thing about America and about the West, and these this people want to take over. So there are alarms there, you know. Yeah, look what they're doing. They're they in Iraq. Now next they're going to Iran and then Syria. You're going to be ready. And that's why the Syrians send people and Iranians send people to Iraq to get the American busy, so, because that's, that's a propaganda, it's gonna go over, and the same, and an American is like, oh, I, I wanna, you know, I support the war in Iraq because these people are thinking to take over. So we have politi politicians in both sides that making our life a mess. I, I, can't, th I can't tell you what, what political position to have, but you need to know that if you, there, there are some political positions can ruin your mission, your mission. Because this, this is a very sensitive issue for Muslim people. They have this, you know, thinking that, you know, Western, they hate us, they want to take over. And for example, if you go right now to any Muslim country and if you said, I support George Bush or support the war in Iraq, they can't trust you to talk to them about anything about, you know, anything else. So you can't go and say, well, oh, yeah, I am Republican and I'm pro-war in Iraq. And they say, by the way, I want to talk to you about this. Thank you. I don't need to know that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate it's that way. Politics and religion needs two minutes to start, you know, talking about in the Middle East. 
Yeah, politics is a big uh, barrier. You grew up in a Muslim family, of course, and you know lots of Muslims both here and there, so they're not really plotting to take over the U.S. that you know of right now? Like, that's not, <laughs> that's, that's not in the plans? Not only the U.S. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just wondering, because it seems like that's the only thing that most Christians in America are concerned about. This week an email was going around uh, among Christians and some of the Christian legal organizations that was alerting people that in the United Nations there's a, uh, there's a movement in the United Nations by the Islamic Conference to outlaw proselytizing in any of the Muslim nations. And they're asking the UN to do this. So of course this email flies across every email and every Christian in America is going crazy and sending it on to 29 of their prayer partners and stuff. And is that an overreaction when people do that, you think? Uh, from a Muslim side, I, absolutely, yeah, it is. And I, I think, you know, I'm looking at the foreign American policy right now, I'm reading books and I found like, for a politician, it's, it's a safe to, to make it a big deal than to underestimate it. Because when, when the U.S. had a problem with the USSR, you remember, I don't know, I've seen movies showing that the Soviet came here and took over and American became militia under the ground and fighting the Soviet and uh, somebody was caught with uh, green dollars and you were supposed to use the red one. And so, and, and I, I feel like the politicians always, you know, make it like it's a real danger so people really th you know think about it and pay tax and I, I don't know. I've never heard or I've never seen that these people want to take over America but they dislike America, American policy. As a human being you will be treated just nicely and just as a guest and all that but they will tell you I hate your president <laughs> and I hate your foreign policy because I don't know if you know that but uh, the American foreign policy, and again, we talk about politics, not about principles. It's very biased in the Middle East. It's very biased. and give you a thousand of examples. For example, the war in Iraq was out because Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. He was treating his, his people badly. There are 22 Saddam Hussein in the Arab countries, but because they have good relations with America, oh, we support them. Hosni Mubarak, the president of Egypt, he's doing worse than Saddam Hussein. But we, oh, we hug him, we give him money every, every year because... Well, he has good relationship with Israel. He's keeping this Egyptian, you know, just not thinking about fighting or about doing anything else. Algeria, Morocco, Libya, Sudan, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, all these people. There's no freedom of speech. There's not, Saddam Hussein was not, you know, any worse than these people. And now you think, oh, you came to, you're telling me that you brought all this, you know, and you're spending all these billions just because you want to save, you want to help the Iraqi people because of this one guy. Well, this guy was nice in the 80s, and Ronald Rumsfeld was shaking hand and giving him chemical weapons to attack the Iranian because the Iranian were our enemies there. So, so people, they, it's it's not out of after the. I mean, it, it's not like a propaganda only. There are things, and again, but this is politics. What I'm trying to do, as somebody who lived in America and found how nice American people are, and that politics always dirty, is the principle of America. I'm thinking about the World War II. There's a huge difference between World War II and you know, Vietnam War and whatever other wars, right? There's a huge difference. People were pay, paying their life to save people in World War II. There's a big difference. And everybody acknowledged that and respect that about America. And today, you have many Americans, like, they're mad because the picture of America is kind of changing now because of, you know, what happened recently. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Something that happened a couple of weeks ago, just to give you an example of the way that our image is seen in the rest of the world, is you know we're in Iraq, you know that we're seen as an occupation force in Iraq at a marine station in Iraq where there are basically lines of people going back miles just trying to get through a checkpoint. The Marines are 
driving people through a checkpoint in their own country, of course, and they're just trying to go about their business. And as the Marines would clear each person through a checkpoint, they would hand them a coin that had John 3.16 on it and tell them that if they really wanted to get to know God, they needed to follow this, okay? Now, some of us would be applauding and saying, hey, our Marines are out there, like, spreading the gospel. I'm not really sure that the Marines are supposed to do that. I'm not sure that if you're invading a different country and you're holding up people in their own country at a long checkpoint, they, that's really the time when you want to bring up the gospel. Um, when you're holding, like, you know, a huge gun in one hand, body armor, and a little coin with John 3.16. And remember, uh, George, George Bush, uh, President Bush, uh, comments after 9-11, uh, every day they bring that up. He said, he said um, let it be a crusade. And that comment was spread, it was shown every single day that what will come later is a crusade. And I did not live a crusade time, but I read about it because every single Muslim has to be told about what happened in the crusade. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, well, we need to get ready for this for crusade. The guy is coming. Okay, there are 19 stupid terrorists came out of nowhere in Afghanistan, and your country gave them visas. It's not my responsibility. These people, if they go to Morocco or Saudi, they will be in jail because they are wanted. And now they came here and they did what they did. You cannot punish 1.5 billion people because of 19 terrorists. If I want to give a bad image about America, all I need to do take my camera, go downtown, where gang's area and all that stuff, what's going on now, and just to broadcast that to Jordan, say, this is America, this is where I live. And to take a camera and go to Afghanistan and show this is a Muslim, people where they paid their women and they covered their women, it's not a true image. It's not. Let's talk a little bit more about your story, by the way. So you told us, you gave us a hint of it at the beginning. So you were 16 years old and you said you had a dream Mm -hmm. So give us a little bit more of that and how it was like for you to first discover, well, talk about the dream, talk about how you started to discover more about Christianity, and then, you know, how that was for you, your family, uh, how coming over here. Give us a little bit more of that, and we can hear more of your personal story. Right. First, I want to um, welcome my friend. He's, uh, he's from Iraq, and he's, he's Muslim. So this is the first time I'm going to share, and he, he's here, so I'm glad that he's here. Okay, as I said, I grew up very close to my mom, devoted Muslim. Uh, my problem was when I questioned salvation issue. Because of the, I call it persecution that I had, because I was asking this uh, teacher of religion and he was kicking me out of school or every time I asked him a question, then I believed that God said, well, this is somebody who's seeking the truth and there's no way for him to get there, so I will do it. And one day I was studying, I was 16 years old, studying for my final exams. And I used to have, you know, my radio on when, I, when I'm studying and they're time changing. I stopped by a Christian channel broadcasting, I guess from Cyprus or Monte Carlo, I'm not sure. They were saying, you know, things in Arabic. They were reading uh, letters from people saying, oh, I got this financial issue, blah, blah, blah. I just pray in Jesus' name. And that's it. I was like, ooh. And then another one said, oh, I have this disease, and you know, just to pray in Jesus' name, like that sounds like, okay, whatever. So I turned, I turned it off, and I went to sleep. I couldn't sleep. I started thinking about, wow, is that possible? Now, at that point, remember that all what I learned, all I believe is what I was taught in, in, uh, in the school, that you know, Jesus is a prophet, and he has nothing to do with us now. He will come now, but maybe a thousand years or whatever. But he came to the Jews, and he has nothing to do with me anyway. Then I started to think about that. I couldn't sleep. I thought, well, I want to try that. I want to test it and see, well, you know, what is it? So I th at that point, I did not think, what if it worked? But I think I want to test it because I had a problem, a skin problem at that time. 
And as I mentioned, I grew up in a refugee camp, so there's nothing much to do, just, you know, remedy at home. So I said, well, I will, I'll pray in Jesus' name and see if Jesus, you know, maybe he thought that I'm a Jew, so he may, may heal me or something. <laughs> Try to trick him, so. So when he said to pray, my understanding of prayer, I've never seen a Christian. I, at that time, I had never seen a Christian, so I don't know nothing about Christianity. So I pray as a Muslim, just, you know, the way that I pray. And then the guy said, just put your hand if you have a physical problem. Say, you know, God, I just pray in Jesus' name, and so you heal me. So I did. I went to bed, and in the morning I had a final exam. So I, I forgot about the whole thing. So I was changing my clothes to go to school, and then I had a quick look at my arms, totally healed. There's nothing. Yeah, so today I say, praise the Lord. At that point, I was like, what the heck? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no. This is cannot be true. I was so scared and said, "Give me that back!" And I, I don't know. I wanna, I wanna cancel. You know, because it means that you know everything in my mind. Like, if this is true, you know, this means that he's still there and he listened. And what I'm gonna tell my family? And so I went to the exam. That was the most terrible exam in my life, anyway. But uh, and then. I had a struggle, as you know, this is the first, you know, first time it's happening to me. And then I start hearing voices saying, you know, it's just the last thing that you use, or just like the course of this, you know, disease, it just offers, like, it's heck, it was an accident. It happened at the same time that you did a prayer. So it was a good relief, but it didn't last for a long time. It's like, no, that cannot be true. So I was like for three months, literally. I stopped doing, praying, doing anything. I was so confused. At the same time, I couldn't talk to my family. I was, I was actually having, you know, long sleep all the time because I don't want to see my mom see it and ask me how that happened. So three months, I was crying out, and then finally, I heard a voice say, you know what, why don't you test that again? Test it again. If it worked, then it's, you know, it's true. If it's not, then it just, you know, you can't forget about it. So That's a good idea. So uh, I prayed the same way, and I said, God, listen, you know, it's like an idiot prayer. Um, you put me in this situation, you got to do something. you got to clarify this to me, and um, I'm so confused. And if I don't get an answer, I'm not going to believe in anything. And went to bed. That night, I had this dream. Leaving my school, in the middle of the, you know, walking back home, I met a guy I've never seen, but he looks like, he, he looks very familiar to me, like somebody from that area. But his, his clothes were really weird. It was like old, like Roman thing, you know, just very old. I don't know, I, I didn't ask him, you know, who you are, but he gave me um, a towel. And he said, this is a gift for you. And then he disappeared. And I was like, that was weird, because I don't take things from people usually. I'm not supposed to, but anyway, I did. And then when I opened the towel, I found a golden cross. And I was like, he said, this is a gift for you. And now who's this guy and he gave me a golden cross so more confusing you would think that oh that was clear that's Jesus gave you a gift the healing it was more confusing and now I woke up in the morning it's like oh my gosh now where I can find people to talk to me about this I live in a refugee camp where there's 100% Muslim people I've ne I, I don't know I didn't know any Christian person at that time so um, 16 years old to 18 years old in confusion Two years of confusion. Stopped doing all that stuff. My mom was so upset, but she, I couldn't share anything with her. I just thought I'm just going to struggle. I, I don't know. Finally, uh, when I was 18, I met a guy in, in the neighborhood, and he said, "Hey, did you do you go to nursing? I I will go to nursing too. I need your help sometimes." 
And uh, by the way, I have an American friend that I can, you, you know, I can introduce you. And he knew that I loved American people to, you know, to talk to them because I want to enhance my bad English. So he said, okay. I said, I was a good promotion for you. I was like, yeah, I'll come. So I went and he introduced me to this guy who was from California. The very first five minutes, I knew that this guy going to help me because his language, Lord, 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 I was like, oh, this is not like a movie language. Well, that's nice. So I, I was meeting with this guy every week for two years just fighting, debating, argument. I did not tell him anything. Because if I told him my dream, it's like, oh, yeah, this is, it. this is your Bible. That's it. I didn't want that. I was telling him what I have, what I miss, and what do you have? Tell me what do you have more. You drink? I don't drink. This is bad. No, I don't drink. You know, it's okay for you to have sex and have No, of course no. It's like, no, you guys, you guys are American. <laughs> you do all that, you know. As I, you know, as I mentioned before, and then two years, and then he finally shared with me the Bible, and, and we went over that, and two years um, of debating and more dreams, and I, I had no question after that. I made a decision in the very, very, you know, after that, I had a dream um, that uh, it was the last day, according to Islam, there will be a judge day, judgment, so everybody is there. I'm there. And then somebody calling in Arabic and he said, hey, guys, you have 15 minutes to do anything before the judgment starts. So do something. It's like, okay, 15 minutes, what can I do? Okay, I know I have to do prayer. So there was like a water, like a place where you can do the washing, so you pray. And I went there. It was awful. There's no water, garbage, just an awful place. Like, great. Now there's no water. What can I do? But I realized that this is not really the, the thing that I need to do. So I left that place and came back, and there were um, fire tanks coming and say okay crap this is hell I'm gone I'm gone and the same voice was saying take one one of these tanks it's like no this is fire it's like no take one I say no and then his third time he said it was a kind of anger I was like okay so I was waiting for one to come to me and then I woke up three months after that I read in Acts and, I, and it's the same story how the discipline received the Holy Spirit and they were speaking the, the language you know in different you know um, but that was the night when I woke up and I was full of spirit that I made a decision. There's no more question about that. I was 21. And since that, um, I've been trying, you know, with my people, uh, two years of, you know, classical missionary, just go and tell them, yeah, you just need to change your religion and just throw everything else and take a Bible. Nobody talked to me. I was alone for many, many years. And then finally I said, you know what, let me go and read, read the Quran and see what, what do we have there, you know? In three months, we just I got the whole thing in September of '05. I only had three months to spend with my friends. In three months, nine of them they became believers. And now, many, many every day, I hear about somebody else. Yes. How should parents respond to that? Yeah, that's a good question. My parents, they don't know. They, 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 they kind of, they know there's something, but they don't even, they don't want to know. They don't want to ask me about it. There's a lot of positive changes that happened to me because you know when you have Jesus transferred in you. But um, I wanted to tell them at one point, but my friends, they said, uh, just wait until, until God says, you know, it's okay to do it. And I'm glad today that I didn't tell them. And it's not a safety issue anymore. I mean, I can call them today and tell them. It's just that I'm looking for a way just to invite them instead of just telling them, which I'm, I'm every day I'm more positive about it. I've been talking to one of my sisters, which is the one that I can most trust, and I believe she's almost there. Let's open it up to other questions. Anybody else have a question? Yeah. Um, is the idea of hell and heaven in the Quran more similar to 
Jewish ideas of heaven and earth or more like Christian ideas? Because they're very distinct. Yeah. Um, the Islam is, is more close to Judaism in terms of punishment and, you know, description of God and hell and heaven and um, even inheritance, a lot of things, a lot of uh, the details, the relationship among people, it's the same, like uh, adultery punishment, um, um, thieves and inheritance and uh, a lot of things, it's very close, even, you know, Muslims, they don't eat pork, they don't drink, it's very close to the Torah, to the Jewish tradition, more than Christian. Heaven sounds more fun in Islam, like yeah, but it's but not that forty version that you hear. This is this is this is not this is not. I've never heard that. Any? I, you honestly, get any or just none. No, you get some. Get some. <laughs> All right. So that's forty. Honestly, you get a few. I'm not defending that. I'm not de but I have I I have never heard it. I have I hear that when I came to America. One of my friend in AP, she came like, I can't believe they believe that you can have sex in the, in the heaven. I was like, who told you this? Like, oh, yeah, you guys have forty versions. Like. I've never heard that. <laughs> so is that not in the Quran? It says that there would be um, there would be servants, but it doesn't say like a number. It says that there will be um, those virgin, but um, the interpretation say that those are the wife of this person. I've never read a forty or anything like that. But there, you know, there's two ways to talk to Muslim people. Either you say, you know, hell is bad, and you just give all these bad things just to scare people of hell, so they obey God or just talk about the nice thing in heaven. And these are what bedtime stories for us. My mom's like, ah, oh, when you, if you do this, you go to heaven. If you are just laying down, you say, I want an apple, a tree will come to you and give you an apple. So you grow up with this idea. And this teacher was like, okay, you guys are teenager now, you like to have girls. And he was saying, girls there are so beautiful. <laughs> you can see the veins, they're so white. And I remember that I was 12 years old. I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, is this an incentive? I don't know. But uh, this is not from the Quran. It's just a tradition, yeah. Yeah. I know um, one thing that people think about when they think of Islam is the conflict with Judaism. Is that hyped up or is it? Okay. Um, there's ignorance, okay? If you talk to educated people, there is there's distinguish between uh, Zionism and Judaism. So they believe that uh, Judaism has nothing against Islam and Muslims should not have anything against Jewish. In fact, Jewish and the Christian are the only groups that are, should be protected by Islam. So if any Muslim kills a Christian or a Jewish, it's a sin because these people, they call them Ahlul Kitab or they, they have a, they're, they're just a special people for Muslims. People they, of the book. Yeah, those are protected. The, the, the conflict uh, came back after 1948 and, you know, what happened in, in you know, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict, which is totally political conflict, but give, was given this religious because it happens that the Israeli are Jewish people and the Palestinians are Muslim people. There, there are things in Islam and the Quran against the Jewish people, but not, uh, not like all Jewish people. Are, like if you read in the Bible, uh, sorry, in the Torah, you find a lot that there's many Jewish people were given things and God helped them and you know, save them and then they worship something else. So that's a bad Jew. Now the Quran brings that and then with judgment on that. So that's why you can find uh, even description like um, pigs and, and abs and stuff like that. And this is not against the, the whole the Judaism uh, as a religion but against this bad um, the Jewish people. There's nothing um, anti-Jewish or anti-Christian in, in Islam as I said. There's a, there was a contract that these people are protected, although they are non-Muslim. Um, but personally today, um, 
There's a lot of uh, mixing politics and religion, and sometimes politics override religion. Telling you this as a Palestinian, I grew up in a refugee camp. I have a terrible life growing up, and I was told that this is because of what happened. Because my family were a rich family in Yaffa living in 1948. Um, you know, people came from other countries and took over. And some of them, they kill other people, and some, we had to leave. And we ended up in a refugee camp. So we would think that to a child, you know, okay, so I don't have all the other convenience because of what they did. So I grew up hating that. Again, I was told that the Jews, they came. But today, in education, curriculum, and everything, it's, it's not Judaism. It's a political movement called Zionism. There are some Christian, in, you know, Zionist Christian, in, but it's, it's, a, it's a more political conflict. I personally today, I, have, I never had anything against the religion of Judaism, and, um, but before I met Jewish people, yes, I had a problem because of what happened and what I see in the, mo in the media every day of, you know, my own people are killed, you know. But I reached to the understanding that, you know, it's my people also killing these people because of the political, you know, um, in a position. And then I came to the States and I met Jewish people, and I, I can't talk to that for three days about that. I just you know, I love all of them and they have really a good relationship and that had a great impact on my family when I went back and I was like, one day I was talking to my mom and I said, oh, I'm with a Jewish brother. And she said, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> what, what was that? And to say it, I have a Jewish brother was a big deal until I went back and explained. Um, I, um, I actually lived for um, one year and seven months with a Messianic Jews family. It was, it was a great experience. It was hard at the beginning because, you know, I just came from different culture and a very good relationship, very, very good relationship. And I have another Jewish family in Minnesota that I go every, um, every four or three months, actually. And I just, uh, you know, just one of them. By the way, just to play, this is your life. You know, one of the members of that Messianic Jewish family happens to be right there in the back. That's that. You, <laughs> you know, so, so like, oh we've got a lot of connections in one way or another. This okay. is your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just want to clarify something too, that there is another group of writings in Islam, which is the Hadith, right? Which is not scripture, it comes after the Quran, but it's more sayings of Muhammad that were collected. And I just want to ask you, because some people say that some of the more harsh things that Muhammad said about the Jews and some of the more ones that have been interpreted come from the Hadith, not from the Quran, but mm. they're still, I don't know, people say they're conflicting verses, that there are some verses that people take and say, that it advocates more violence just about among all people, not just Jewish people. So is that, is that true? Um, you can take any verse out of context and make whatever you want. And you can take today, if you read in the Old Testament, you think, how come God tells people to go and kill everybody and kids? And you see that violence in the Old Testament. So you need to know that before you talk to these people. Anyone else? Question? Phil? The difference or the meaning or the origin of the words of Islam and Muslim and why the or why, like, what do they actually mean? Uh, the word of Islam, yeah, it came from the, the, the verb uh, in Arabic, it's called Aslam, which means to be submitted to God. The, the root is Salama, which it comes from that Salam, which means peace, and Islam, which means to be submitted. So basically, just to be submitted to God, and that means a lot of things, which is the first thing to have to do the five pillars, to be obedient, basically, to be obedient, so believe in one God, that's the meaning of it. <laughs> but he said something about security, like, like, it is now safe for you to talk to your family? Was there a time? Oh, well, for, for my family, it depends on the family again. For my family, it would be, uh, it not a, I mean, I will be disowned and asked to leave the family, but nobody will try to hurt me physically. Some other family, they will try to kill, 
but the least that will happen uh, if I tell them in a wrong way or if they do not understand, it will be like, I'll be disowned. Yeah, I mean, they, they say, okay, don't practice, don't give away, don't do anything. Just say that you're Muslim. Because if you do anything, if you say, if you say the opposite, that's a betrayer. With the propaganda today, you, there's, they're gonna be a, there's somebody trying to, make a, to do a crusade, somebody else, so we are in a war. So if you change your religion to go to the other group, so this is considered as you leaving your army to go to fight with the enemies. When you are born Muslim, you have to stay Muslim. Man. My mom will fast to death just to force me to change my mind. My dad will have to disown me, although he doesn't care, but because that's the tradition of the society, and I will not be accepted any you know, longer with that community anymore. Yes? Um, if, if the Bible is mentioned in the Quran, why are they looked at as, like, if you're not Muslim, and let's say, like, you convert to Christianity, like, you, why would that be something that they would be against if it says that in the Quran? Because traditionally, um, the, the convert Muslim, they became against Islam. And I've seen that. I've met some people who convert and, and they go to the churches today just to try, you know, saying bad things about Islam and taking Islam about the Prophet. So that's, that's their problem. So think of, think of yourself. If you have a, a brother who convert to Islam and he became kind of going all over mosque and say, this Christian people are going to hell. They believe in Jesus as a God and he was a man. How, how do you feel about it? It's just like the feeling of you know, being betrayed. Or, that's a problem. There's also the issue of the identity, which is really important because that identity is not just religious. It becomes your whole identity of who you are. And it is connected very closely to nationalism, both in your country and in the whole, like the whole concept of Islam as a whole. So when yeah. you convert you're seen really in what we would, the best case we would use, would be not a convert from religion, but a traitor, traitor against exactly. your own identity and your nation. Yeah, the concept nation is, is a very significant concept in, in Islam. In uh, July of 07, when there was a war between Israel and Lebanon, guys in Indonesia was getting ready to go to Lebanon and fight. And you wonder, I mean, what do these people have to do? But because of the concept of the nation, it doesn't matter where you live. If your brother is under struggle, you travel and you help him. And those people, I'm sure they don't, they don't know how to read the, the Quran, but it just it became in their blood, it's just the identity. They don't practice, they don't do anything. It's just, again, the identity at the, you know, the concept of a nation. Yes? Do you find that a lot of Christians, maybe that try to convert um, Muslims to Christianity or uh, Muslims that become Christian, they try to deny the culture? Thank you for this question. It's really very important. I know that uh, I read the missionary history in Jordan. They came around 19th century, and they spent about 100 years. They spent billions of money um, for you know building hospitals and schools, trying to to give um, to people. And the intention was to convert people. And then they used the classical way. So the guy that I met, he was a classical, and that's why I was I could not help any of my friend become a believer for the first two day, two years because basically I would go and say. Hey, my name is Jack now. Because they told me, you, should, you know, this is a Muslim name. You can't keep it. And then you can't go, you can't say, oh my, even like praise God. There's a Muslim way to say praise God in, in, in Arabic. And there's a Christian way to say praise God in Arabic. And when I say the Muslim, say, no, 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 no. Say the other one. And both, they mean the same. Um, a lot of that. Change, 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 change. And that's a very good question. And that's why many people, they don't listen to that. 
I'm telling you, in the Arabic culture, I always pray that God don't put me in this temptation that I have to choose between you and my family. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know what I will choose. And I know that if I have to choose between, you know, of course I will, I will choose God, but I'm still, this is going to be a big temptation. So to tell me, come, we can help you get out of here and forget about your family and live my, my life there alone. And still, the convert, they are not treated the same in the, in the church. And I, I'll tell you this, I, I've been to Arabic churches here. I, I stopped going there. And I told him, you've always made me feel that I'm different. You always look at me like I'm a different, although that I share that belief because of my background. It's like, that's not my mistake. So these people, in a in hundred years, they did not convert maybe 50 people. And now the, 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 the contextual missionary that we have right now, keep your name, who cares? I mean, stay. They said, the Bible said, when you have a light, you don't put the light under the table, you put the light on the table so the rest of the family can see that. They encourage people to stay, encourage people to keep your faith, to keep, go to mosque because you need to keep relationship with these people and talk to them about Jesus. If I go to church and then I go to talk to them about Jesus, okay, you're done. In high school, there was a big conversion. I have to memorize the whole thing for the test. It talks about missionaries. These people come from the West. And by the way, people there are not stupid. You're a white person, you go to Jordan, why? You are the CIA or missionary. That's it. And both bad for them. You're not going there to make money. Come on. They, I mean, they know. So, missionary will come. Very nice people from the West. And they're nice to you. But this is their intention. And they got, put some, some code to Christianity. So when you read that, it's like, see, these people how nice, but this is their, their goal. What do you think of these people? So, this needs to be corrected too. Now, the, the contextual missionary that we use today, we use a Quran, take two people. We don't ask them to uh, change their names or, or... It's very successful. If you want to compare business, and sometimes, I mean, some people understand numbers in the conference and say, well, how about 100 years with a 50 billions, you get two each year. Oh my gosh, that's really bad business. And now you're here, nine in three months. That's a good business. Yeah, so that's a new movement. Let me ask you one last question to close up. We hear a lot sometimes about similar experiences like yours that are going on all over the Middle East and the Muslim world about dreams, about things like that. And maybe we're stuck in a Western world where everything has to be rational and it's all easy. Hmm. Um, is your case, you think, unique because there's reports from people who work among Muslim nations that that's not unique at all, that, there's, that somehow the Holy Spirit is constantly working um, way ahead of missionaries and bringing these oh, kinds yeah. of things. Is that, is that happening? Yeah. You know, God knows what he's doing. You're talking about a culture. They believe in dreams and vision, not like Western culture. Meaning, even before that, um, if I had a dream before, um, like an exam or, or something, you know, I, I would change my plan based on that dream because we believe that some of these dreams are messages from God telling you to do this and that. There's a prayer in Islam called the kind of consultation prayers that you do before you go to bed. So you pray and you say, God, let's say you want to travel or you want to change your job or, some, or marry or something like that. So you pray and say, God, show me, you know, what I'm supposed to do. Muslims don't believe that God will come and talk to you. They don't believe that you can hear voice from God, but believe that God can cause you to dream something. And this is a, can be a clear message. So I'm talking about a nation that believe in dreams. This is one thing. You're talking about a, uh, a nation and a culture that um, Christianity and Judaism is not an option to know about. Not because of the government, but because of the culture, the tradition, because of the inherited theology of 1400 years that this is, you're not supposed to, you don't read, this is forbidden to read, this is corrupt. They were the word of God, people change it. 
which is not from the from the Quran. So, okay, what's the way to communicate with these people? It should be a reliable tool, a reliable way, and where people believe in it, and it should be, you need to overcome these barriers. This with missionary people in Jordan. After you know, I talked to them about my story, and they and they saw they saw two or three of my friends, you know, just accepted Christ right away. They start, you know, just going in Jordan, and whenever they found somebody, you know, interested, they call me and say, "Come on, I'm a Starbucks. Let's go." And say, "Okay." I, so I go. One of one of the guys just talking to him, and he was listening, listening. They didn't say any word. Thirty minutes, and he said, "I gave my life to Jesus." I said, "Okay, wow, that was quick." He saw dream. He has been seeing dream when he was six years old. Seeing dreams, 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 dreams. But there's no way to. He couldn't, you know, comprehend that until he and I told him, "This is what the Bible says with the Quran." And he said, "Okay, I got it now." So all these people, most of them, are prepared through vision and dreams. And I mean, this would not be a surprise because if you read in the book of Revelation, what do you read? I mean, the last day people will see vision and dreams in you know, all people and young people. I mean, my my grandma, she's 73 years old, went to coma. And she saw a dream. She, she, she woke up after like three, four months, and she said that she saw Jesus in her dream. And then I was told that the other day, I'm here, and I can't talk to her. I was like, yeah, well, you should believe in him. But she said, I saw Jesus. And she, she, all what she knows about Jesus just, you know, she's 73 years old. I mean, so this the old education, which is, you know, he's a prophet. But I was like, so I talked to her, what do you think? Why did you see him? It's like, oh, well, because he's alive, he will come back. Like, Amen. Well, praise God. Let's do this. Let's close in a word of prayer to celebrate what God is doing through this. And uh, I guess, first of all, thank you. Thank you for doing this. You guys give him, give him a hand. <laughs> Stay right there. Let me pray and let's close up uh, tonight. Lord God, I thank you for the testimony that we've heard tonight, especially because so many of us are numb sometimes to the power of your spirit and the power of your word. Uh, some of us are surprised that you would still show up, Lord, in dreams and visions, that you would heal. We live in a place where we're so self-reliant on everything that we have that we forget your power, Jesus. We don't even stop to ask sometimes. And it's such a blessing to hear about the way that you move powerfully around the world, even when no missionary goes, that your spirit is still active, seeking those who are lost to you, seeking those that you still love, Lord, even drawing them through the Quran, finding ways that you draw all people back to yourself. And I want to thank you specifically for, for his story, uh, for his courage, and Lord, also for his discipline in sitting to speak to people about this, to write these things down, to help to correct and to teach, because so often those of us in Christianity, so often those of us in the West have been unable maybe stumbling in our own devices to try to get to people. And here is somebody who has been able to teach and speak to us in love and to correct us and to show us the way that we might reach out more effectively to those who are in Islam. Jesus, we thank you that you are true, that you are the truth. And we thank you for all the things that you've given us to steward in our hands, our resources, and yes, Lord, even this group, the learning that's going to come of this. And may we grow tonight. May you bring people into our lives where we can have similar discussions. May we remember these words. May we even take the time to go and study the Quran so that we might be able to point people to you through that book if necessary. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.